You're listening to Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journeys here at the University of Victoria. From CFUV 101.9 FM, I'm your host, Maureen Chow. Today, I am joined by Stefania Gorgopa. Tell me who you are and what you do here at UVic. Hi, I'm a master's student at UVic, recently defended. Uh, I've been here for two years working on my master's thesis in environmental studies, uh, which I've been focusing on rockfish conservation and using citizen science as a way to monitor rockfish. Recently defended your thesis? Yeah, that's right. Tell me a little bit more about that and more about what your research looked like. So yeah, the defense was um, kind of what I expected. I definitely got really nervous beforehand, but it was mostly in my head because I think I was able to handle most of the questions. All right, there's definitely some things that I had to say I don't know, but I mean, I made it through here. I have some revisions to do, but you know, that's how it goes. And yeah, my research, I've been looking at data quality in citizen science. So citizen science is the collection of scientific data by non-scientists. And so there's lots of different programs out there now that recruit just the general public to collect information about biological things as well as geography and other things like that. And with the research, did you do a lot of field research or was it mostly like looking at data, I guess, in the privacy of your own home? Uh, So it was heavily field-based. So what I did was created a citizen science program. So I recruited scuba divers. And then with them, we went out to field sites, dive sites, and did scuba dives to look for rockfish. And so at each of these sites, we counted rockfish and identified them by species, as well as other fish species. So then we were able to have a a report of the fish community, so what assemblage of fish is at each site, and then that was done by multiple divers at the same site. So then we could compare between two divers, did they see the same number of fish, did they see the same species, and that's how we can get at data quality. Because in science, you want to be able to say, okay, we know that there's around, you know, 20 fish at this site or something like that. And if, and it's always possible that people are going to, you know, overestimate, underestimate, miss a fish. So we want to make sure that our data is as replicable as possible, that we can get the same numbers repeated over and over, you know, on the same day. And so that's what I was looking at with my research. And did you find that consistency? Yeah, so there's definitely a lot of noise when you're scuba diving in terms of what the data is doing. A lot of variability between divers. And that's just because diving is very challenging. You've got currents, you've got poor visibility underwater, you have all this gear, you're worried about, oh, how long have I been underwater? Do I have enough air still? So there's a lot of factors going into it. And then on top of that, you have to count fish and then write underwater. We use a pencil and waterproof paper so we can actually do tallies of what fish we're seeing. Are you a diver and did you go down there with them as well? Yes, so I'm a diver and I did participate in this project as well. What were some of the biggest challenges when you were down there for this specifically? I'd say finding the dive sites actually because rockfish are very associated with specific regions on the reef that they live they don't move around a lot I thought it was very important to make sure our divers were always sampling the same 
location on the reef. So I set up these permanent transects. So I marked with little anchors underwater and little submerged floats so you could find the same spot and then do your count from that same spot each time. But to find the same exact location underwater at sites that I had never been to before, that was a big challenge. So the first dive is like, okay, I'm at this site. What's a good spot? What spot am I going to be able to find again? What spot has some fish and is kind of interesting to survey because we're going to be doing a lot of dives here. So we want to be able to, you know, have fun while we're doing it. That's the point of citizen science, but also get some good data. So yeah, that initial dive, okay, this is a good spot, let's mark it. And then, okay, we have to do another dive to start setting up this transect marked underwater. And so then that was another issue to just find that site again. But we were able to do it and I was able to write up instructions for other divers to go find these spots. So that was pretty cool to see that other people could follow the directions that I came up with. But like a roadmap that you set up. Yeah, like turn left at the big boulder, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and how did you go about finding the divers? Are they also researchers? Uh, so that was part of the, the research question was whether professional diver researchers are providing higher quality, higher, more precise data than citizen science divers, which are recreational only divers. So I needed a mix of both kinds of divers. So I used, uh, UVic has a small diving program. So I tapped into that and recruited other students um, who are scientific divers. So those were my professionals. And then I also uh, did a huge social media campaign. That's what the, the whole other side of my project, in addition to the scientific research, was this campaign to create guardians of the deep and recruit divers so i did i did radio interviews with cfax i did i put out my videos um, about my research i uh, had a little spot on the on the news one night check news yeah so that was a whole ordeal and then also doing like facebook posts and so i ended up recruiting 29 active divers which was pretty substantial yeah and I want to go back to the media stuff in a bit mm -hmm. but I'm wondering more about the research for now so what did you end up finding that were some big burning <laughs> discoveries yeah so uh the first question was okay what things about a dive or about a diver um will can explain the variability we have in precision in data quality. So like what about a diver makes them better at collecting data? That's the main question. Um, and so what I found was that uh, a diver's fish ID knowledge. So I had everyone write a fish ID quiz before they did any dive. So I knew, okay, they know some species or they know very few <laughs> species, right? And so clearly that was important. Um, but also whether, like the level of recreational certification and training they had. So at, when you're a diver, you get certified to a base level, which is like open water. And then from there, you can become an advanced diver or a rescue diver or like a dive master. Um, so where on that spectrum were these divers? And that was important, um, as well as the total number of dives they have. So just diving experience in general. Um, so that was really good to find out, like, okay, so we know we need to have divers that are trained and knowledgeable about fish. The other interesting thing was that the different sites had different levels of precision. So some of the sites were easier to get data that was of high quality than other sites. What were some of the sites? So we sampled Ogden Point, which is like downtown Victoria, and then Henderson Point, which is 
uh, kind of near Brentwood Bay, so just up the Saanich Peninsula. And then I had two dive sites on Galliano Island, uh, one near Active Pass, which is uh, that narrow part that the ferry goes through if you're taking the ferry from Victoria to Vancouver, and then another site uh, just on the inside of Galliano Island in Trincomalee Channel. How did the results range from location to location? Interestingly, Trincomalee Channel was the most precise site, so the data was the the most between two divers was the most similar um, and then Ogden Point and Henderson Point were like the least similar so I think that maybe because Ogden Point was just like so lush there were like huge schools of fish um, and there's just like a lot going on I think that might be why it had less uh, consistency between divers less precision um, and then Trincomalee was a little more straightforward it was just like oh there are five fish here and it was easy to count um, just individual rockfish instead of like these large schools that we were dealing with at Ogden. Did you feel that these were the ideal spots for you to choose? It, was it kind of meant to be based around locations on the island or what went into you deciding where exactly everything would go? I think the major factor was that, okay, are there rockfish at these sites? Because that's what we're interested in. Um, and then making them accessible to divers because it was citizen science based. And the idea is like, okay, now these sites are still there. Like they still exist today, even though my research is kind of done, people can still go monitor at these sites. And I think that would be a really cool thing to do. So yeah, I wanted to pick sites that were accessible. So like Ogden Point, very popular dive site, very accessible from downtown. Henderson Point, also similarly, very accessible. You can just drive right up to it um, and hike down to the water. Uh, the Galliano sites are need a boat to dive, but I had a partner on Galliano um, who helped fund my research, the Galliano Conservancy. So I needed to put some sites over there in rockfish conservation areas to, to get the full picture for and satisfy what they wanted to get out of the research. And why rockfish? So rockfish are very long-lived fish. They can live to be over 100 years old. They have um, very small home ranges, so they like to just sort of live on the same reef their whole life. And they're very slow to mature, so that means uh, it can take them, you know, 40 years before they start to reproduce. So their lifespan is longer than human lifespan, which is kind of crazy. So if you're eating a rockfish, if you catch a rockfish, it's probably as old as you it's probably you know it's it's kind of crazy to think is this ancient fish that you're eating and the, also the problem with them so yeah when they get fished out it's quite damaging to their population because they haven't had a lot of time to contribute to their population if they're getting fished out you know before they're 40 years old um, and if they're caught accidentally as bycatch it's difficult to put them back in the water because they have swim bladders that will expand when they get pulled up from depth. So it's this pocket of air in their body and as they get pulled up from the deep, that expands and will cause trauma inside their body. Sometimes it'll even push out through their mouth. Um, and so just tossing the fish back in the water, they'll just float at the surface and they actually won't survive. So overfishing is a major problem for rockfish for all those reasons. And I'm curious, how does this play into your views about eating fish? Yeah, um, I'm definitely, like, since I've gotten into marine biology and just, like, you know, read about all of the issues affecting our oceans, yeah, I'm definitely hesitant to eat fish, but that 
being said, I had lobster to celebrate finishing my defense. So, I mean, yeah, nobody's perfect. And you have to do what you have to do in terms of like dietary needs or thing. I'm actually, I recognize that I'm very privileged that I get to make this decision and that I can decide to have seafood if I want. Um, but I'm definitely aware of choosing other options and eating vegetarian more often. Yeah, of course. And you don't live somewhere where you rely on fishing as your main source. No. Yeah. Food. And with everything that you've done, how did the news like the Czech news and filmmaking play into that? How did you capture what you were doing, not just in the books, but also in the media? Yeah, um, that was a really cool experience. I hadn't done much media stuff before this. Um, I had done a little bit of filmmaking, which I took a course in undergrad at Banfield Marine Science Center um, in filmmaking. So I had that skill set in my back pocket. And then um, one of my first dives was just sort of a warm-up dive for the whole field season. And I collected some footage and then this contest came up. So I entered a contest with a little video about my research um, and then that became that video became a real good solid tool to use in promoting my work because I had to recruit so many divers. So it was a necessity to be able to communicate my research, my questions, what I was interested in, to communicate that to the public in order to get them interested and also to recruit them as divers uh, to participate in my research because without the divers, I wouldn't be able to, you know, ask my questions about what about a diver makes them better at collecting data. And with the videos, what are some of the challenges of underwater filmmaking? I'd say definitely here in BC, we, there's just poor visibility, you know, compared to tropical clear waters. So, um, dealing with the visibility is very challenging in terms of, you know, if you, it makes it very dark underwater. Uh, so your camera is less able to capture a clear image just because it's dark. If you bring in a light, then the light is just going to reflect off all of the particles in the water. So um, yeah, a lot of my footage I had to take at very shallow depths where you get, had still had good light penetration from the sun and just hoping that it wasn't too murky that day. Just to clarify, were these freshwater locations or saltwater locations? All saltwater marine locations, yeah. With the film stuff, I know you mentioned earlier that it ended up being second place in a contest at UVic. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I did an initial video for this contest that was international for the Journal of Visual Experiments. Um, and that was earlier in June of last year, June 2017. And then I, I guess through doing, also doing my media outreach, um, I had the UVic uh, media relations department, I guess, assist me writing up a, a media release about my project to recruit divers. And so it was on their radar that I had this video. And then they contacted me and said, hey, there's this research reels contest coming up. You know, you should consider entering. You know, like I had to make some adjustments to my video to make it fit the contest requirements. Um, so I actually ended up just doing a new video that highlighted some of my findings because at that point I had findings. So um, I included that and yeah, entered it into the contest. And yeah, I was lucky enough to get second place um, in the social media category. So I'm pretty proud of that. I'm sure it wasn't luck, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just want to backtrack a little bit. 
before the thesis, what did life look like at UVic? Like what led to you wanting to specifically work on this project? I guess leaving my or doing my work with Fisheries and Oceans Canada, I was working between my undergrad and my master's thesis. Um, and I was doing some analysis for Fisheries Oceans Canada. And so doing that really made me think, oh yeah, I want to do something where I have to where I'm doing writing, where I'm doing analysis. Yeah, really engaging my, my academic side. Applied to a couple of universities, including SFU and UVic, but my main uh, research topic or idea that I was applying with was to do with aquaculture. And so that's what connected me with my current supervisor at UVic, John Volpe, because he has a, um, his background is in salmon farming and aquaculture. And so I was like, okay, great. Like he sounds right up, you know, like, He's very knowledgeable in this area. Like this will be a great partnership. And so we interviewed and he took me on and I was very excited. And then um, as we discussed potential project ideas, I ended up reverting back to what I know, which is rockfish conservation and scuba diving, because that's what I did from when I finished my undergrad. I got my dive master. I started scientific diving. I volunteered at the Vancouver Aquarium doing diving. Um, and doing rockfish abundance surveys. So that was all very familiar to me. So it just made sense to continue with that um, and use all of my background knowledge and then be able to ask some really interesting questions and be able to come out with some really interesting results. And between your undergrad and the master's, I know you worked at the Vancouver Aquarium. What was that like? Uh, yeah, that was a really cool experience. Uh, I was taking care of the BC Waters exhibits so I got to spend my days with my hands in the water, feeding fish, cleaning the exhibits, also collecting animals for the exhibits. Uh, yeah, it was very interesting. So there was all this behind the scenes stuff, some diving, as well as the, the I guess, in front of the scenes stuff. I got to interact with guests at the aquarium and help educate them. Uh, so I think that's really the sort of intersection of my interests is this scientific exploration as well as um, public engagement or science communication and using both of these tools to promote marine conservation. What's the dream job for you and how does that play into where you are geographically? Oh. Is it Victoria? Is it Vancouver or West Coast? Yeah, I really do like the West Coast. When I first moved here to Victoria, I was thinking, oh, I'll just move right back to Vancouver after I'm done. My program but I really like Victoria I really like the size of the city um so yeah I'm kind of open to anything I really do like the west coast I like that my family's here and I just like the the local environment so yeah um that's up in the air in terms of jobs I used to so at one point my aquarium job was my dream job but then I got there and I was like, okay, I got this dream job. Now, now what? And I kind of fell into this, I guess, the slump. And so now I think going forward, I'm going to take it as what is the next launching point for what I want to do with my life? Um, and so that sort of, I still have this fork in the road, or maybe it's not a fork. Maybe it's just sort of two different directions that I can sort of weave back and forth together. So I've been applying for like communications kind of jobs where I'd be like managing the social media and like website content for conservation organizations. 
um, but I'm also looking at more industry-based consulting jobs, so like working as a marine biologist for a firm that's monitoring construction activity, um, so working to protect the environment that way, or possibly a researcher kind of position as well. Um, I'm definitely not staying in academia for now, at least. I need another break from school. Yeah, (laughs) Perfectly fair. And do you think that in general, I know this is a huge question, but marine biology is portrayed accurately in the media? Or do you think there's like kind of some things that get exaggerated maybe, or some findings that become a little bit sensationalist? What's your take on it? Oh, I think in the media, it's definitely all like Jacques Cousteau, Steve Zizou, um, like riding dolphins kind of thing. (laughs) Uh, There's definitely that sort of perception of it. But I think with at least, I mean, it's kind of hard to tell because I'm so immersed in this field. I follow a lot of people that like on social media and stuff that communicate science. And so I see like that there's so much science communication going on and that the the real scientist lifestyle (laughs) is being portrayed more. But I mean, I'd be interested to hear people who are outside of that field if that is. I mean, I guess you're outside that field. Do you you think it's... I don't think I know enough, to be honest. Uh, I think that a lot of the time, I already have an idea of people doing field research. And I just think that science means field research, as long as it's biology, which I know must not be an accurate representation. But I'm curious with you, like, do you, what is the actual scientist lifestyle? Yeah, I guess that's also a question I got from my grandparents as I was in this program. Like, so what do you do all day? Because, yeah, grad school itself is like a mystery. Um, I'd say as a scientist, like a daily routine would be like going into, actually most of the days is going into an office type situation and either you're entering data from data sheets. So you're like working in Excel or you're doing some analysis, which involves coding and like, working with computers that way which I never thought I'd be doing but it turns out I really like Um, and then also then you get into writing and writing is this whole creative process but also you're trying to communicate highly technical scientific ideas to a slightly less um, specialized audience but still a very academic specialized audience so it's this very nuanced way of communicating and then you also want to be able to communicate those ideas so you like I've especially in my work, I've been working on, okay, I have like this technical idea or, you know, these results that I need to communicate. Well, how would I tell my grandma? How would I tell my sister about this stuff? Um, And then coming up with ways to explain it that way so that, you know, someone, you meet someone at a party and they want to know what you do. You can can actually (laughs) tell them what you do and not go on for two hours, you know? All your best party tricks. Yeah. And how does one go about writing an academic paper in sciences and I completely understand what you mean by the very specific audience, but what do you think that they're looking for when you do a major thesis? So the thesis, well, in my case, and most of the people in my program, we write it as um, like each data chapter that's dealing with a research question is actually a an independent manuscript. So I'm going to submit some of my chapters for publication eventually. So then it was a matter of like each pu- each chapter, each manuscript to become a publication. 
um, I'm writing it with the the journal I want to submit to in mind. So then thinking, okay, well, who's the audience of that journal? So one of my journals I'm going to submit to is an experimental bio, marine biology journal. So, okay, people reading this are marine biologists or people interested in marine biology. So really focus on, like, how does my work address marine conservation, marine biology? Um, and then another journal is going to, I'm going to submit to is the Citizen Science Theory and Practice Journal. So that journal is like people who are already convinced that citizen science is something that we should be, you know, looking at, concerned with. So then framing my, all of my research, it's like that's a common understanding for their readership that I don't need to convince them that citizen science is a cool thing we need to look at. Okay, that's already given. So just how did I address citizen science? So I'm still working on that in my revisions to try and, you know, really tighten up my chapters. But yeah, I think just knowing the audience of the, the where where your work's going to go eventually is really important. And what made you drawn to citizen science in particular? I guess it was the very end of undergrad I did. I was in this scientific journalism class and we had to, one of our assignments was like every couple of weeks we had to find like a, an article online and do a little blog post about it. And then one of these articles was about a citizen science program called Galaxy Zoo. So it's like pictures of stars in outer space and, from a telescope. And then anyone can just log onto this website and like you just classify them like, oh, there's a whatever galaxy, there's like some training you get for it, like online. It's kind of like a computer game in a way. Anyway, it was kind of interesting, like, oh, I can just look at some random pictures of stars and then say, oh, there's nothing in this photo or there's a galaxy or, you know. So I thought that was really cool that I got to participate in science that way. Anyway, so that's what I, when I first heard about citizen science and then just through like talking about, okay, rockfish conservation, what kind of research could be done in that area, and doing some, there was a, I guess you'd call it like a mini conference about rockfish conservation that we had early on just before I started my program. And one of the, thi one of the things that came out was that, okay, citizen science would be a good way of monitoring rockfish because there are divers in these waters and they are interested in finding out more about learning more about rockfish and monitoring them and helping with their conservation. To go back really far, when was the first instance that you knew you wanted to be a marine biologist or to work in the field? Oh, I'd say elementary school. We did a, I don't know, I guess you call it like a unit or something. Like, a, <laughs> you know, it's been a while. You know, when they, like your teacher has a lesson plan for a few weeks um, and it was about this we watched these videos called featuring the voyage of the Mimi. So it was like this boat with these whale researchers on it. So they're taking pictures of humpback whale fins to identify them. And it was just like this really cool thing. There was like a kid on the boat cause it was like a kid's TV show. Anyway, I was like, yeah, I want to do that. I, I want to be that whales. kid. I want to be that kid. <laughs> um, and then that just was always like, oh, like whenever I'd like, you know, do that class assignment, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was like, well, a marine biologist or a librarian or an artist and like all these things. But like marine biologist was always on the list. And then it got time to apply for a university. And I was like, well, marine biology, that sounds cool. Yeah. And I know you mentioned artist, and I know that you are an artist. So 
tell me a little bit about your artwork. That's actually, since doing my defense, it's been like, what did I used to do before I had a thesis? <laughs> um, and I'm just remembering like, oh, I used to do a lot of different crafts, knitting and stuff. And um, But what I've been carrying through while I've been in school recently is painting. Uh, I like painting. So um, I, right now I'm working on a, I guess, a landscape um, featuring a wave like an ocean wave and some sunset colors. A lot of water featured in my my paintings. So what you do with your, I guess, both could be your professional life, but would you say that everything that you do with marine biology and research is the biggest influencer on your art? Is it just that you want to recapture it? Um, I'd say that my Art and my my scientific pursuits both stem from a love of the ocean and water. It's not so much that my art reflects my science. Yeah, I just that's something that I really love, and so finding out ways to that I can be in the ocean for work or study it and get up and up close and personal with the the organisms that live in the ocean. That's what really makes me happy and so being able to do that through marine biology is just like a plus. <laughs> and how much are you in the ocean for strictly recreational purposes? Oh not well I like I like surfing I like swimming so I'll do that. Um, in terms of scuba diving it's funny I did so much diving I was doing my training for my dive master years ago and so I was I had to get um, like a hundred dives to finish that program so I had to dive several times a week and then as soon as I got a job where I was paid to dive then I just sort of stopped diving recreationally because it's yeah it's like oh that's what I do for work why would I just go on my own for fun and because it costs money and so I mean, and that's fine. Like, I get to do it for work, so I don't need to do it recreationally. But now that it's, I don't have a job where I'm diving. So I have, I've already gone diving. My last dive was on Canada Day, um, which was pretty fun just to get out there. I mean, I still went to one of my survey sites and found it. So, I mean, I'm still, there's definitely crossover between, like, just so uh, recreational life and professional life <laughs> <laughs> well I'm in music so I can say the same <laughs> and I'm just wondering what are some of maybe your favorite places in the world to experience diving or water sports I'd say that's I have definitely not done enough traveling um, I've only been diving in Hawaii and in BC um, which yeah it's kind of Funny. like it's pretty un uncommon for people to have so many cold water dives and very few tropical dives like I think a lot of people like diving tropical water for obvious reasons it's warmer and clearer um, but yeah of my like 250 dives I've done in my life I'd say 90% are cold water dives and could you ever see yourself working in a tropical environment yes I mean I'm not eager to go work somewhere else I think I kind of feel like I'm ready I'd rather settle in a place like Victoria Vancouver and then be able to go travel to other places for fun rather than just working in a tropical paradise 
I'd rather go to a tropical paradise just to relax, I think. I think that's how I want to live my life. I know a lot of people are like, well, why don't you just live the dream and, like, you know, go to Indonesia and do marine biology. Um, And, I mean, that's totally cool for some people. I just don't think that's for me. Also, I don't do so well in the sun. I'm quite fair, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the going to Indonesia, I think, is a very glamorous way to look at researching and scientific lifestyles I think Mm -hmm. realistically to have the lifestyle that you personally want there can be a lot of fluctuation between that and what life would look like here in Victoria or even in North America let's say yeah totally and at my last question for you is what point are you at in your master's and when is I guess the finish line yeah, so that's this joke I have with uh, my partner um, and friends that, like, this finish line keeps changing. It was like, oh, I submitted my thesis. I'm done. Oh, wait, no, I have to do a defense. I Like, I did my defense. I'm done. Oh, wait, no, I have revisions to do. <laughs> um, uh, but, yeah, so by the end of this semester, so basically I have a month to do my revisions, um, and then and then I will be done question mark I think that means I'm done and then there's the (laughs) then there's the the graduation ceremony well that's Uh, a celebration that's a celebration yeah so um but I think I'm actually ready almost ready to say that I am done for real this time yeah (laughs) (laughs) and on that note thank you so much for coming in today it was such a pleasure to have you yeah thank you for having me for interviewee contact information or to listen to this episode again go to podcasts at cfuv.ca. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond the Jargon.